Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Amen. If you have a Bible and you want to start someplace, John chapter 1. We will not spend very long there in John chapter 1. We'll be all through the the four Gospels and even the Acts of the Apostles. But John chapter 1 might be a good place to begin. Been spending Wednesday nights um, for some time now looking at different character studies. We've been looking at Old Testament characters, New Testament characters. We've been looking at males and females. Um, been looking at the famous and the infamous. If you think about the Three Amigos movie, um, just been looking at different different um, personalities that we have in Scripture. Not only does God give us His Word so that we know how we should ordain our lives and to live our lives, but also there are um, men and women, both good and bad, that are given in Scripture that. That are given for the sake of us seeing how God um, responded to them, how they responded to God, and examples that we can look at their lives for how we should govern our lives today. So we've been looking at these different characters. Every time we come to one of these characters, we're asking three questions. Who were they? Why do we know them? And what lessons do they teach us? So just trying to keep it basic. And so we're looking at all, all these different characters, asking those same three questions, but all the characters. So tonight we are talking about who? Peter. Alright, so we're going to talk about Apostle Peter. So when we talk about, um, and next next week is Paul, if I forget to mention it, next week, uh, Lord willing, is Paul. After that, we're going to take a break for the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, so Paul will be next. But Peter, we ask the three questions. We ask, who was he? Why do we know him? And what lessons does he teach us? So when we ask the question about who was he, it's a biographical question. Um, mother, father, sister, brother, third cousins on the mother's side, whatever as far as biographical information, what do we know about Peter? Who was Peter? Son of John. Okay. How do we know that? what you're referring to, Mr. Mark, is you're referring to John chapter 1 and verse 42. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Okay, so in John chapter 1, which is just convenient that we're there in John chapter 1. Alright, so when we're thinking about Peter the Apostle, we get the first clue that we got of his father's name. So it says down there in chapter 1 and verse 42, he brought um, him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. This is talking about Peter. He said, you are Simon. Now that's the name before Jesus changed his name to Peter, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So there in John chapter 1, we get the instruction that his father's name is John. Do we have any other clue about maybe what his father's name is besides John? Do we have any other listing in Scripture where his father is is called by a different name? 
Matthew what? 16. Matthew 16. That's right. Alright, so you look over there in Matthew um, chapter 16 and you get down there to verse 17 and in this the, the context is that um, the disciples have been talking about the identity of Jesus and who he was and who he was besides just being Jesus as far as him being the Christ. So at one point Jesus looks at the disciples and says who do people say I am? And uh, Peter says well they've got different stories about you and who they think you are. Jesus looks at Peter and says who do you say that I am? And that's when he said you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17 And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Now, what does Bar-Jonah mean? Does anybody know? Son of Jonah. Jonah. So when he says Simon Bar-Jonah, that's the same thing as saying Simon, son of Jonah. Now, here's here's the question. So in John chapter 1... It says that his father's name is John. The same way if you go to John chapter 21, when Jesus is restoring Peter, he refers to Peter, the son of John. And then yet when you get here to Matthew, it says Bar-Jonah. Any idea of why Matthew would use Bar-Jonah where John is using John? be a family name. It could be that John was maybe his first name and Jonah was his middle name. Um, other commentators have said that it could be that going back to the original language, they are very similar. One has an O, one has an A as far as the original spelling. So, if you were writing something out and you wrote out an O or an A, it may just be a bit of a, a you know, maybe a flip or a switch of the, the marking of a pen. That may be it. Um, but nothing significant that would call into question the infall- you know, the infallibility or the inerrancy of the Word of God. Just saying that both they're referring to both of the same person, but it's not a radically different person. Does that make sense? So he may have gone by John, he may have gone by Jonah, or it may just be that one was a regional name and one was a family name. So um, if you get anybody that tries to go to seed and tries to say, oh, well, see, this is an error. It's not an error. It's just you could say somewhere down there that, hey, Spence um, serves at First Baptist Church, or you could also say that Charles serves at First Baptist Church. Both would be correct in my case. So it's just a matter of maybe one way they, the one way they um, spoke about him versus another way they spoke about him. All right. So father is John or Jonah, however you want to look at that. What else do we know about Peter? Fisherman. Fisherman. How do we know that? He and his brother Andrew fished with their dad. Okay. All right. Well, I don't think it says a fish with their dad, does it? So they were. So Peter and Andrew were in business with Zebedee. Do you remember who Zebedee was? He is the father of James and John. Remember that? So, uh, I'm not saying that Simon Peter's father wasn't there, Mr. Mel. I'm just saying that when you get there to John chapter 1, we don't, it is, it is not articulated that his dad was or wasn't there. But we do know, based upon um, John, uh, la, 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 I guess this will be back to Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, when you see the calling of Peter, it gives us the indication that Peter was there, Andrew was there, James and John were there, as 
as well as James and John's dad, Zebedee, and they were all in the fishing business together. That's what it says back in Luke. So look at there, Luke chapter 5 and verse 10. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So, yes, Peter was a fisherman. Presumably, around the Sea of Galilee, presumably he was a business partner of Zebedee and his two sons, James and John. Okay? What else do we know about Peter? He was married. He was married. How do we know that? Because Jesus killed his mother-in-law. Okay. So we get that out of Matthew 8 and Mark 1. Uh, So Matthew 8, if you just want to put these down for for knowledge's sake, Matthew 8, verse 14 through 15, and then Mark chapter 1, verse 29 through 31. We never get the mother-in-law's name. We never even get the wife's name. However, we do know that it says Jesus goes into Peter's house and in Peter's house is Peter's mother-in-law laying sick, ill with a fever and Jesus heals the mother-in-law, right? So you can infer from that 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 means that Peter had a wife and some in-laws. We don't know their names. We don't know anything else about them than that. But that's that's what we know about Peter. So we know his father is John. We know that he was a fisherman in business with Zebedee. We do know that he had a wife and a mother-in-law. What else do we know about him? Fisher of men. A fisher of men. Right? Bethesda? Okay. All right. Did he have any siblings? Yes. Andrew. Okay. Well, I'm not, that's that's. We don't know if he had more than that, but we do know for certain that he had a sibling named Andrew. Because you go back to uh, John chapter one, uh, and I'm going to pick it up in verse forty. It says, "One of the two heard, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ.' So, we think about who Peter is. We know he had a brother named Andrew." Maybe more, but we do know about Andrew. Had a father named John. Had a wife. We don't know anything about kids. Wife means he has in-laws. So, don't know anything about a mother. Don't know anything about any other relatives, do we? Okay, so I didn't miss anything. Alright, so, kind of covers who he was. Now, let's ask the question, why do we know him? He denied Jesus. Okay. He was a follower of Jesus. That's right. The rock. Okay. He walked on water for a little bit. <laughs> for a little bit. I always wonder. I always wonder, like, when he started to go down, like, was it sudden? Or was, like, he sinking, like, slowly, like, in quicksand? I just wonder how, I just, I just wonder how that, how that played out. But, he was martyred? Okay, how do we know that? Well, extra biblical, which means other historical writings that weren't from the Bible given us account that Peter, yes, was martyred. In fact, he was martyred, he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be killed the same way that, is, that Jesus was. And so that's not in the Bible, though? 
I do not know of it being in the Bible. I don't want to tell you it's not because I don't have the whole thing memorized. But I do not know of there any being place where it talks about Peter's martyrdom. Yeah, the one place I found it online that's talked about it doesn't give a scripture reference to it. So. They'll go back to Eusebius. They'll go back to Josephus. They'll go back to some other um, historical writings, church writings. But don't know if the Apocrypha has it in it or not. I haven't read the entire Apocrypha, but I, I know, I'm not familiar with the place it might be in there. But, but yes, historically it has, it has been assumed and kind of carried on that he was martyred. What else do we know about? Why, why would we know Peter? I mean, he was not the only apostle. He was the first pope. <laughs> According to the Catholics, he was. Why? Why would the Catholics say that he was the first pope? Because he preached at the ascension. Okay. He preached at the ascension? He preached at ascension. Pentecost. At Pentecost. He preached at Pentecost. So that made him the first pope? I didn't say that. Oh, that, that's, what, that's what Steve said? Alright, so, so the reason, this is the, my understanding, the reason why you will hear people that will say that Peter was the first pope goes back to Matthew chapter 16. So whenever... Jesus asked Peter the question, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, as Jesus is talking to Peter, he said, verse uh, 17 of Matthew 16, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has not revealed this to you. But my Father... My Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So that is where people have taken that verse and said that is why he is now, because because they would hold that Jesus is giving Peter individually, specifically, that authority and that power. But in a Baptist tradition, we wouldn't we wouldn't go down that path. Okay? Why why else do we know about him? Right? He was one of the inner circle. He got to see the transfiguration. Yes. Yes, so he was in that inner group of three or four that was, uh, some people would talk about that um, intimate of Jesus Christ, that he was one of the close ones that was there. Something that stuck out to me was the um, question of who was the first disciple that Jesus called? Andrew? Some say Andrew. Does anybody else have an idea? So, the reason I say this is if you go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse uh, 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea for their fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So you may go to that and you may say, okay, well, based upon Matthew's account... Andrew and Simon were the first two called, but we really don't have an account that says Jesus called Peter before he called Andrew. Alright? So then you take you take your Bible and you go over to Mark. Alright? 
So then you get over to Mark and you get into Mark chapter 6 or chapter 1 and verse 16 and we get another clue. Passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So again, it presents it as Andrew and Simon are there simultaneously. Well, there's another clue in Luke chapter 5. You get to Luke chapter 5 and the, the account is a little bit different. Not contradictory, just a little bit different. So, it says, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them or washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Later on, he tells Simon, put down your nets for a catch. Simon um, balks at it and then ends up doing it. And then you get down to verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And Jesus said to Simon, I'm now down there in verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Some people might infer from that that Jesus started with Simon. That maybe Simon was the first disciple that was selected or chosen by Jesus. So you say, well, is that a possibility? Ah! Then you get over to John. So you get to the Gospel of John, particularly John chapter 1, and the theory um, has some sputs and stutters. Kind of struggles here. Because when you look at the word order or you look at the timing of how John gives the account of Peter, um, you kind of get maybe a, a different view about it. So John the Baptist has a couple of disciples that are following him, sees Jesus coming by. I'm in John chapter 1 verse 36 sees Jesus come by he points at Jesus and says behold the Lamb of God the two disciples that were with him some people think it was James and some people and Andrew so James is a James is an idea but the two disciples leave they follow Jesus um, Jesus turns around this is verse 38 what are you seeking they said to him rabbi which means teacher where are you staying and he says come and you will see Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So if you look at, listen to that language, it makes it sound like Andrew was already in the club, if you will, and then he went and got Peter. I don't know if it really matters, and I'm not trying to go to seed on it. I'm just saying that you will find people that spend a lot of space on paper trying to rationalize down who Jesus called first. Like somehow, if you were one of the first one called, you got a special seat at the table kind of thing. Who knows? But he was, we do know that he was in the first group of disciples that were called. Alright? Andrew or Peter. Yes. Yes. What else do we know about him? Or what else do we know about him? Well, after Christ said he was blessed because he was told that he was the Messiah, the Son of the God. Next paragraph down, he says, Get behind me, Satan. 
Right. He very quickly, he's like a hot and cold type person. He's like almost like he's split personality. Some minute, some sometimes he is like right there tuned in, and the next minute he is out in space. Because Peter, the way the gospel accounts give it, he was the first one that confessed Jesus as the Messiah, as Jesus is a Christ. Now, I'm not saying the rest of them didn't believe that, but he was the first one to say it publicly. Right? What else do we know about Peter? Do what, ma'am? He did. He was, yes. Can't really say he was the first one to deny Christ because I think Judas um, would, would get that award, but he was prominent in the fact that you get to the upper room in John 17, John 16, John 17, and Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, No way, Jose. I'll even die for you. And Jesus' is like, Nope. For reals, you're going to deny me tonight. And then in the course of several hours, the year he is singing a different tune. So who preached the first sermon? Peter. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Alright? So, so this is where my mind goes, which maybe it's because where I'm at in my service in the church. Okay, The first two sermons in the book of Acts were preached by the same guy. Peter. Now, Pentecost comes, so this is Acts chapter 2, Pentecost falls, and um, people start speaking in tongues, people start getting excited, and then it gets down to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, and it says, But Peter, staying with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, and he started to preach. Was it well received? Did people listen to him? Did anybody respond? 5,000. 5,000 or 3,000? Somewhere. Which was somewhere, yeah. somewhere, somewhere. Okay, okay. So a bunch. So you're probably thinking about Acts two and forty one says three thousand. That's what you're talking about, Mr. Harold. Okay, I, I, I thought so. Okay, so his very first sermon, the very first sermon that is recorded to have been preached after the ascension of Christ. Okay, this is everybody's running around trying to understand what's going on. Peter, who we don't have any record up until this point, having ever preached a sermon. He gets up and explains to people what is going on and how they might be saved. And 3,000 people get saved. Wouldn't that jack with your ego? Wouldn't that kind of mess around because now we've kind of set the bar a little high? There was a new preacher that moved into Wilson um, down there in southwestern Oklahoma down by where I was at. new preacher came in. The church got excited. They saw a decision the first Sunday. Then the second Sunday. And then the third Sunday. And then the fourth Sunday. Next thing I know, he comes in to our little pastor's association meeting, strutting, talking about for the last seven weeks in a row, they've had decisions and kind of like, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, peacock today, feather duster tomorrow. I mean, this, these decisions aren't because of you. And these, aren't, these, these decisions aren't because of what you're doing. you got to be careful when you start putting that chest out there about look, 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 because that is not always a guarantee. But I think about Peter. We don't have any reason that Peter got big-headed. We don't have any reason that Peter got, uh, got, got, got big on himself. It just Can you just imagine how many were in the upper room praying when Pentecost fell? Any idea? 120. 120. How do we know that? <laughs> Acts 1. Okay. 
Acts 1, okay? So you guys are thinking about, or you all are thinking about verse uh, 14, verse 15, right? Where it says the company of the persons was in all about 120. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, I'm just... Men and women. Men and women, that's right, okay. So you have 120 people that are having a prayer meeting. And they've been having a prayer meeting for how long? That's only 10 fingers. How do you get 11 out of that? (laughs) So you count on my head? All 10 fingers in my head. Not my ears, just my head. So Pentecost is, when you think about it, it is 50. Penta is the 5, okay? So Pentecost is 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. So where do I get 10 from? Well, it tells us in the Gospels that Jesus, after the resurrection, ministered for 40 days before before He ascended back to the Father. So you figure they are 50 days after the Passover. Jesus was there for 40 days. He's been gone. So that's where I come up with the number 10. I don't have a chapter and verse. I don't have a, I can tell you in the Bible, but I don't have a chapter and verse that says now after 10 days. But when you start to try to put down a timeline, you will come to the idea that they, 120 people, men and women, had been sequestered, secluded off by themselves and been praying because Jesus says, don't you do anything until the Holy Spirit, until you've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. So they are praying. And you go back to the Gospel of John, Jesus doesn't say how many days. Jesus doesn't say how long. Jesus just says, you get together and you pray until this happens. So they've been praying and they've been faithful. Why do I bring that up? Because sometimes you and I pray for about two hours and then we feel like God isn't listening or God God's not going to do anything and we stop. And we do not have the tenacity. We do not have the fervency that we see so many times recorded in Scripture where they prayed and they prayed and they prayed until God did something and they were going to keep praying until God did something. We pray until we get distracted. They prayed until God moved. Okay, so 10 days later, that's when Pentecost happens, right? So that's when the Holy Spirit comes down and dwells the people. Peter preaches, 3,000 people got saved. So can you just imagine, here's here's how my mind works. After the event, I would imagine that all 120 people got together and said, that was cool stuff. Peter, we're going to have you go preach tomorrow. And then we're going to set you up and we're going to go ahead and get you on an itinerant preaching schedule. And you're going to be in Jerusalem today. And then tomorrow you're going to Joppa. And the next day you're going to Nazareth. And the next day you're going to Jericho. And we're going to, because if you can do that, imagine what we can do in all these different places. Is that what happened? No. In fact, you get out of chapter 2. And it's like, okay, Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved, and now the church went from 120 to 3,000, which is a big jump in numbers. But then you get down to chapter 2, and verse 42 down to verse 47, it's almost like they stopped preaching and they just started doing ministry. Until you get to chapter 3. Peter and John are going into the temple. The lame beggar is there. They heal the lame beggar. People start getting excited and wondering why the lame beggar is healed and running around. And what happens? Peter preaches, right? 
Again, the second sermon recorded in Acts, Peter preaches. This time, does anybody respond? Yes. Are you still in three? Uh, well, I'm in three, getting ready to go to four, four. Because you're getting ready to give me a... You're getting ready to tell me it's in the Bible again. <laughs> 5,000. 5, now here's how my... This is what my mind thinking, okay? So you got Peter. He preaches once. 3,000 people make a decision. The second time he preaches, 5,000 people make a decision. Do we have any other recorded sermon from Peter in Scripture? Um, chapter 7? No. So the only other place that I would that I would find that I would say gets close to qualifying in the sermon is in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to talk to Cornelius. But even then, it's not the same kind of sermon. So what just boggles my mind is, is that the way that God works, God doesn't always do it the same way that you and I might think it ought to happen. So Peter preaches a whole bunch of people get saved. You think, oh, Peter, do it again. Do it again. Let's do this the, ne- the same next day. That's not how God wanted to do it. And then you might think, okay, now the lame beggar's been healed. He's preaching in Acts chapter 3. And you might think, oh, Right, Peter, let's set you up again. That's not how God works. But Peter is noted in Scripture as being not only the first to confess Christ, but the first to preach about Christ. Then you get over to Acts chapter 11, and um, maybe there's some exceptions here, but he is one of the first Jewish apostles to go to the Gentiles. Now, in that culture and in that context, you pretty much had two classes of people. You had the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were ethnically, not genealogically, genetically, by ancestry, they were Jewish, Jewish descent. Everybody else was then labeled as Gentile. All of us in this room, who are we? Gentiles. Now, why is it significant that Peter would go to the Gentiles? Because they thought that Jesus had only come for the Jews. Because those were God's chosen people. So, up until, and you got an exception when you think about Philip going to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and even Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. But up until that time, none, there wasn't any of the apostles. Philip was a deacon. You didn't see any of the apostles that were going to the Gentiles because they just all assumed that God had sent Jesus just for the Jews. So what did that mean for the Gentiles? <laughs> Tough luck. You're out. You're out. Tough luck. Find your way to God. Have a nice day. But it is Peter, it is Peter that then goes to the Gentiles. And when he goes to the Gentiles, he's beginning to tell the people about how Jesus, or what Jesus had done. The Gentiles hear it. The Gentiles respond. And then... Peter then ends up going back to Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 11. He ends up going back to Jerusalem because the, the rest of his compadres back in Jerusalem are going, whoa, we weren't expecting that. We didn't think that that's what God was doing. We didn't think the gospel was available to the Gentiles. Yes, God could have done it in a, a thousand other ways. But one of the reasons why you and I have the Word of God in a language that you and I can read and understand? The reason why you and I have heard 
by how much God loved us by sending His Son to die for us. The reason why we have the religious and church traditions that we have today is in part because somebody went to the Gentiles. And somebody was willing to go and to share what Jesus had done to people outside of the Jewish people. Praise God. Praise God. That's what he did. Any other ideas? Any other pointers about why do we know Peter? It was part of a great jailbreak. It was part of a great jailbreak. Okay. Remember what happened there? Uh huh. That's right. That's right. And ironically, Peter disappears out of the pages of Acts after that. He, he is released by the angel comes, pulls him out of prison. He goes to where all the where everybody is assembled at and where everybody is there and he uh, talks to them a little while and then it's like Peter just disappears. Until Paul. Until Paul. Peter and Paul have their confrontation. But that's what, in Galatia? Isn't that there in Galatia where that... Okay. It may have been. But I mean, it's almost like Peter, one of the intimates, Peter, one of the main figures, Peter, the guy that had saw 8,000 people come to Christ, and then it's like, you get to chapter 12, and Peter just kind of fades off in the distance. And that's where that story just kind of trails off. He went to Rome. Okay. <laughs> he might have. He might have. Any other reasons why we may know about Peter in the Bible? He wrote a couple of books. Say that again? He wrote a couple of books. He did write a couple of books. Which ones did he write? First and second. First and second Peter. That's right. Do you know who do you remember who he is writing to that as far as the audience? The Christian? The Christian Jews. Yes, there was there were some Christian Jews, but geographically he is writing to what is now modern day Turkey. And that was where you had Galatia, Cappadocia, and some of those other ones you can see that there. That's given there in First Peter chapter one and verse one, or chapter one of First Peter. It talks about all the nations he's writing to, but that is all of what is now modern day Turkey. And yes, there were Christian Jews, but there's also new converts that he is writing to. And that's why he spends so much time in Second Peter talking about the danger of the false teachers. Because as people were seeing these things take root, you always have somebody um, that is looking out for their own pocket, looking for make a dollar, and uh, we're coming in. But yeah, he wrote First and Second Peter and encouraged that early church and uh, continuing the faith. That's right. That's right. Any other reasons? He raised Tabitha from the dead. Marcus from the dead. Yes. Where's that at? Do you remember? Um, Acts 9. Acts 9. That's right. So Dorcas had died. And he wrote, he, he raised her from the dead, right? Yes. How many? How many people? Just random trivia question. How many people we have in Scripture who have a biblical account of raising someone from the dead? Three. Three. Name them. Lazarus. Um, no, that raised somebody from the dead. Jesus. Paul. Paul. Those are the only ones. 
Ezekiel? Are we talking about Old Testament? Well, both. Yes, ma'am. Ezekiel. Who did Ezekiel raise? The dry bones. Yeah, well, okay, so 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 you have Elisha, right? Because Elisha was in the grave, and the marauders were coming by, and they threw the random the random person into the grave with Elisha, and that random person came back to life. Alright, so so we got the random person that was really, I guess, as a proxy of Elisha from the dead. So you got Elisha. You said you had Peter. Do what? The widow's son. The widow's son? And who, who, who raised that one? Um, Elijah. Elijah. Okay. So we got Elijah. We got Elisha. And then we've got Paul. And then you got Peter. Jesus. Anybody else? I can't think of anybody else either. Okay. I just, I just cared. <laughs> Thought maybe you could teach me something. Okay. All right. So, so yeah. He, uh, he was there in Acts chapter 9. That's right, Miss... Donna, he did raise Dorcas, which is that puts him in a very select category of of people that could raise people from the dead. So, where was Peter when he saw the visions? Is that a Jewish house or? Well, that is something that I have been interested in because it tells us in chapter ten that. Peter, no, that Peter was in Joppa, alright, so he, that's where he was, but then when Cornelius sees the vision in Acts chapter 10, God tells Cornelius, go and call for Peter, he is at, and I'm in Acts chapter 10 and verse 5, now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter, he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner. Now what's always struck me as interesting is a tanner was somebody that would take animal hides and tan them out for leather. So that means that you have to be in constant contact with dead animals. And there was restrictions in the Jewish law when it came to being unclean or clean by having that con- that continual contact. You think of Samson back in the book of Judges when he goes back to the um, lion that he had destroyed when he then got the honey out of the carcass of the lion. It wasn't the honey that defiled him. It was touching the dead carcass of the animal that made him unclean. So what has struck me, and I don't have have an answer for you, Mr. Steve. That's where I'm going to a long answer to a short question. But it just kind of interests me that Peter is staying with a guy whose profession was constantly being unclean ceremonially. So I've always wondered to myself, why would you stay with him? But that's where he says he was. I don't have any reason to assume he wasn't. It's just one of those things that I wish there was more information or something that, you know, I'll add that to my list of puzzling questions when I get to heaven. Um, kind of one of those things that I'm just kind of interested. But that, that, little fa- that little tidbit there that Simon the Tanner makes me think, why was he there? Why was he at somebody's house that was continually in a state of uncleanliness? But, could have been a relative. Could have been a relative. Could have been a twin. Yeah. Could have been his twin, Simon and Simon. <laughs> Simon and Simon, okay. Well, and your curiosity is created because he hasn't recognized any of the Gentile acceptance at that point. That's right. I mean, if he'd, been, if he'd already been there, then that might have been more acceptable. That's right. That's right. One of the other things I find is Acts 5, 
Uh-huh. Where they were hoping that even just his shadow would cast over the sick people to be healed. Yes. The power of a person's witness and testimony that you would have individuals say, well, just if his shadow, we would be healed. Or you get up in the room and everybody knows you're getting ready to raise this woman from the dead. There's a lot riding on what happens next. I mean, you walk in there and you look at her and say, get up. What if she doesn't? I mean, I'm not trying to be blasphemous, and I'm not. I'm, I just there's a lot riding on get up because there is only two options: either she does or she doesn't. And if she doesn't, then what do you do? I, I don't like you, got, you. You get me off these rapture. All right. So a couple years ago, when COVID was just ravaging everybody, and I watched Kenneth Copeland on television, on camera, he looked at the camera and he said, "COVID nineteen." And he said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth and you are now banished from the people of the United States. And I'm thinking, well, great. Nobody's going to have COVID tomorrow. Guess what happened tomorrow? People that still had COVID. So I'm just kind of like going, I'd like to go back and say, excuse me, Mr. Copeland, how do you then explain how you just said the day before the name of Jesus Christ, boom, 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 and now that's going to happen, and then the next day, nothing happens, and then it's like, what do you do now? Shows you his Well, maybe he shows me his checkbook. So you think back to 1988. Some of you are more familiar with this time of this season of life than I am. But back in 1988, there was a guy that wrote a book. 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Will Return in 1988. 1988 came. Jesus did not return. What was his explanation? Well, I got some of my number calculations wrong, so now it's going to be in 89. So another 90 came around. Still nothing. I mean, it's just like this this question. The Seventh-day Adventists, the same thing. They had predicted back in the early 1900s that Jesus would come back and they set a date. When Jesus did not come back at that date, then they had to come up with an explanation of what happened and they, they concocted a story to try to explain away why their date setting didn't work. I just think it's I just think it's very admirable that Peter has such a witness and a testimony that people, people are believing that's a way rabbit trail. Alright, what lessons do they teach us? Talking about Peter, what lessons do we get out of the life of Peter? Forgiveness. Forgiveness? Where do you get that from? From when he denied Jesus three times still forgave him. Did he forgive him? Obviously. How do you know? Goodbye. <laughs> okay. We've been through this. <laughs> We've been through this. And, and you get... I, Ask the same question. Give me the same answer. Okay. So why would you? So what would tell you that Jesus forgave him? Uh, it, it's it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's there though. You, you know it's there. Okay. So, so make to make Harold squirm a little bit more. All right. So you get there to John, um, and this is. Let me go back so I don't so I don't pull a Harold on you and just say it's in the Bible. So you go back. <laughs> John chapter 13, Jesus says, verse 36 down through verse 38, tells Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter said, no way, Jose, I'm not going to deny you. 
Then you get to chapter 18, and I'm still in John. Chapter 18, verses 15 down through 18. And then again, 25 down through 27 is when Peter is questioned by the servant girl. Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, no way, Jose. And he denies him. Okay? Then comes the crucifixion. Then comes the resurrection. Then Jesus had appeared to the disciples. So now this is in John chapter 20. He had appeared to the disciples several other times. But then you get down to John chapter 21 and verse 3. There's a group of them. Verse 1, John chapter 21, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. And then it says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And they said, We will go with you. And they went out and got in the boat that night, and they caught nothing. <coughs> Fast forward. What happens? Jesus shows up, tells them, Hey, you've been wasting your time all night long. Cast it on the other side of the boat. They do it. John recognizes that it's Jesus. When Simon hears, Hey, it's Jesus, he jumps overboard with all of his clothes on, swims to the, sh- swims to the shore, and then here they come, and they come with the boat coming to the shore, which always surprises me because he swam, and it tells us there in chapter 21 and verse 8, the boat was only 100 yards from the the shore. So it's like Simon gets out and he's swimming and here they come up right behind him with the boat kind of like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Right? So, but then he gets out there on the land and there was a charcoal fire. I'm down in John chapter 1 and 21 and verse 9. Charcoal fire, laid some fish, had breakfast. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Three times he asked Simon, Peter, do you love me? All three times, Peter says, yes, I love you. So then Jesus says, this is uh, verse 16, tend my sheep. Then he, uh, verse 17, feed my sheep. Then back up in verse 15, I missed that, feed my lambs. So three times. Now, the only thing I'm going to push back, Harold is that it doesn't say explicitly that Jesus forgave him. But, we do see that Jesus restores him. Now you say, well, what's their difference? I'm not saying there's a difference. I think that Jesus forgave him. I think that, you know what? He knew that Peter was off course. He knew that Peter wasn't where he's supposed to be. And Jesus went and found Peter where Peter was at because he knew that Peter was separate, you know, from Jesus. Peter was dealing with the guilt. Peter was dealing with the shame. Peter was dealing with the separation. And so I think when Jesus shows up on the Sea of Galilee, it is there to restore Peter back to service for the kingdom of God. So I agree with you that he does forgive him. So it's forgiveness, mercy, and grace. It's all of it. Yes. Yes. I would just stop short of saying the Bible says he forgave him because I'm a stickler on does the Bible say it? He does follow me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not saying he, I'm not saying that Peter's not forgiven. I mean, to be the first pope, you got to have some type, or he, maybe he forgave himself. Is that possible? He did it upside down. Yeah, he, if the pope can forgive himself, so yeah. Anyways, I don't know why y'all do that to me. All right, so, but 
But we do see a lesson from Peter about Peter failed Christ. All for all of his faithfulness, he failed him. And even after he failed him, Jesus was merciful enough to provide him a way to be restored back to him. There's a great lesson for you and I. And every single one of us are going to go through trips and falls. Every single one of us will go through seasons of closeness and distance. And every one of us will find ourselves in times where we have regrets, we are embarrassed, we are ashamed, we are dealing with the guilt of what we have done. And what Satan will do is Satan will get right there in your ear hole and will tell you there's no way that God could forgive you of that. There's no way that people will ever accept you. He'll get in your ear hole and he will try to convince you that the solution is to isolate yourself and to be your own solution. And it's a lie. Does it matter where you or me or anyone else, it doesn't matter how far we have gotten away from God. Restoration is always available through Christ. Always. There are people right now today that were in a season of life were faithful in the church. Sin, unforgiveness, bitterness. Maybe they just got flat out burned by the church. And church hurt is hard to move beyond. It's difficult. But yet, Satan is still in their ear saying, stay away. Stay away. And they are continually being plagued with this idea, what do I do now? And it doesn't matter where you get or where I get. Restoration is always available. So, a lesson that Peter teaches us is, did he have it all together in one season of life? Yes. Did he fall and trip magnificently? Yes. Did God still have a plan and a purpose for his life? Yes. Did Christ still desire to restore him back to fellowship with him? Yes. So what does that mean? That means that I shouldn't go out looking to fall and deny and to uh, turn away from God. But at the same time, when I find myself with regret and failure and shame and embarrassment... The lie is not true. I can be restored back to God. And I can be restored back to God's people. So, there's a a lesson there about failure. Any other lessons that you can think about? I got one more. Acts chapter 10. I got one more. How much time? Man, this... Oh yeah, I got time. Acts chapter 10. We already talked about Peter was staying at Simon's house, right? Simon the Tanner. He's staying there at the house. Cornelius saw a vision. Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was not in the same town. He was a little bit away. Several days journey. I think is what it says. I think it was a two days journey, if I remember right. (coughs) Peter's there and he's on the rooftop. And as he's sitting there, there was a vision that he received from God. 
And in this vision, I'm in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, verse 9 all the way down to verse 17. In this vision, as Peter is waiting for something to eat, they were going to fix him something to eat. As he's doing this, this vision, the sheet comes down, all these unclean things are on this sheet. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, this is verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up to heaven at once. Why do I think of that as being a lesson from the life of Peter? Peter is sitting there as a good religious Jew. And yet he did not know the future that God had in store. It's a lesson for me because sometimes I can get so entrenched in same, same, same that I am resistant to God determining what happens next and not me determining what happens next. Could you use the word religion there? You could use the word religion, but I, I, I get so entrenched in just saying, well, I already know how this is going to work. So like, we come in on a Sunday morning, right? And you say, oh, well, okay. So people are going to come in. There's going to be bulletins here. We're going to stand up. We're going to sit down. We're going to have music. We're going to have preaching. I mean, we just have this expectation that's what's going to happen next. And yet... How many of us come around going, I'm just going to let God decide what happens next. I mean, we, can get, we can get entrenched in that in our personal lives. We can get entrenched in that in the life of a church. We can get entrenched in that in the life of ministry where we start to say, we're going to go ahead and plan everything out and there's no room for God then to work. Peter is sitting there and the idea of Peter going to this group of people or going to a Gentile or changing the course of direction haven't, hasn't even entered Peter's mind. God had a future for Peter. God has a future for us. But sometimes, sometimes I'm not, I'm not even searching for what God's future is because I'm too busy planning what my future is for me. There's a lesson about being available and being ready as God leads and as God prompts us. So, that's Peter. Next Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll be in Paul. So, um, if you have more, I'm always happy to hear more. Um, but for the sake of time, I think we're just going to come to a close right there. Appreciate you all being here. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your interaction. Appreciate your contributions. And I hope that there's always things that you and I can learn when we come to these different characters to uh, learn about how we can um, just be more faithful as a believer. So, appreciate you all being here. Steve, would you be willing to close this with a prayer, sir? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.